Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. So good to be here with you all the way from the frozen tundra of Kalamazoo, Michigan. We got snow on the ground yesterday, so pray for us. Uh, but it's an honor to be here with you. I love Pastor John. I love the team here. I love this church. Uh, I love Jesus. Anybody else love Jesus? <clears throat> so let's do this this morning. Before we go any further and while we're all standing, let's just recognize and acknowledge the one who's seated at the head of the table. His name is Jesus. He's our Lord. Let's just go before him. Jesus, we honor you, not just with the songs that we sing, but with the posture of our heart. And Father, this is your house. And Jesus, we honor you here. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and to speak to us, stir up faith on the inside of us in ways that only you can do, and let your word come alive on the inside of us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who were here in 2019 when I was here last, you may recall I've uh, my wife and I pastor a church called Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's a real place. We live there. We've been there for 25 years. And uh, we have three grown children and one grandchild named Owen. And uh, he's the joy of our life. And uh, we get the privilege of ministering around the United States, around the country, around the world, in many different venues. And uh, this, though, this is a very special place this church, and I say that not just because John and I are good friends, but this is a really special house. God's doing something very powerful, very unique in this place. And I believe that this weekend, this morning, I'm going to try and set the stage for what we're going to do tonight as uh, we do, I think it's your first time of doing prophetic presbytery, but this weekend is going to be a milestone weekend in the life of this church. Uh, not because I'm here, but because the Holy Spirit is coming and is going to put another foundation stone in place for this house that is going to be built on for years to come around understanding and really implementing more about the gift of prophecy. So I want to bring a message to you this morning called Why Prophecy Matters. Why Prophecy Matters. You know, when you talk about the most misunderstood person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the most misunderstood person of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is when we think about God, we understand what a father is or what a father should be. When we think about Jesus, we can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can fully understand who Jesus is and was. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's ethereal, it's invisible, it's spiritual. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit... There are gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Bible clearly teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. There's gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But among the gifts of the Holy Spirit, perhaps one of the most misunderstood gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. When you think about prophecy or a prophet or somebody coming into the church, a lot of people have misconceptions about it. Sometimes people 
will ask the question, why do we even need to bother with, you know, something like prophecy? And when they ask that question, it's typically because, number one, they're either, they're, they might be ignorant of the gift itself. They don't know what it is. They don't know how it should function. They don't know what it looks like. And, or they might not even know that there is a gift of prophecy. Some people, it's, it's not ignorance, it's indifference. And so they're just kind of like, why do we need this? Why can't we just stick to the basics? And for others, though, there's a real fear connected to things that are spiritual in nature. Some people have the mindset, well, if a prophet comes into the church, he's going to look right at me, and he's going to see everything I did last week, and he's going to call me out on it. And you know what? I can see all of your... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For those of you, that's not, that's not at all how the Holy Spirit works, and it's not how prophecy works. But some people have that fear, and the reason why they might have that fear is the fourth reason that people sometimes are resistant to the gift of prophecy, which is they've been hurt. They've been hurt by someone. They've been given a prophetic word that maybe did not come to pass. Somebody may have, you know, called them out and said, you know, this is going on in your life. And when we think of a prophet, oftentimes we think of somebody with a long white beard kind of coming coming into the church and speaking words of judgment and accusation and condemnation, kind of like an Old Testament prophet. But that's not at all what the gift of prophecy is for. And so I want to share with you this morning why prophecy matters. And I want to read two scriptures from the same book, the book of 1 Timothy, where Paul is instructing Timothy on the significance and the importance of the gift of prophecy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 He writes to Timothy and he says, this charge I entrust to you. Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, hold your finger there, but skip ahead to chapter 4 and verse 14 and 15 of the very same book. And here's Paul again saying, do not neglect the gift that you have been given by prophecy when the council of elders, some translations say presbytery, laid their hands on you, and then it says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Now here's what's interesting. The apostle Paul started the church at the city of Ephesus. By all records, Ephesus was the largest church in the first century. Rick Renner, who's a Greek scholar, and he's done a lot of historical work there, he says this. He says that the church at Ephesus within a decade went from zero Christians to 100,000 Christians. And it was not like it was a Christianized city. Ephesus was a city that was known for its black magic and witchcraft and idolatry. It was a very wealthy city. It was also a very idolatrous city, and it was a spiritual spiritual climate that was very dark. Paul goes into that city. He penetrates the darkness. He preaches the gospel. He, He builds a church there, and he hands the baton of leadership off to a young protege named Timothy says, Timothy, you're going to be the pastor. I'm I'm moving on. I'm an apostle. I'm going to go plant another church. So he sets Timothy in. And here's what we know from the book of Acts. Timothy is a young adult. He's probably in his early 20s. He's been following Paul in his ministry for years. And now he's put in a very challenging and a very difficult environment. He's got battles going on from the inside, from the outside, and from every direction. He's got battles going on from the inside of the church because he has leaders who are trying to usurp his authority. 
And so Paul tells him in Timothy, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Why was he telling Timothy that? Because Timothy was scared. He was intimidated by these other leaders who were threatening to take his leadership. And Timothy is responding to Paul, and he's asking him for help. Help. How do I fight the battles inside the church? He's also fighting battles on the outside of the church. He's battling spiritual principalities and powers in heavenly places. Remember, Ephesians chapter 6 is the spiritual warfare chapter. Remember? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God, therefore, that you might stand in the evil day. If anybody knew about spiritual warfare, it was Paul. And it was also Timothy, because Timothy's now living in the middle of it. And guess what? You and I, over the last 20 months, I think have been awakened to the spiritual war we are in. It, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. I think there's some people that maybe 18 months, 18 months ago used to show up to church thinking it was a cruise ship. But then you figured out it was a battleship. And you traded in your Tommy Bahama for your camo. And you kicked off your flip-flops, and you better put some combat boots on because we are living in dark, evil days. The Bible calls this age the present evil age. How many know that Jesus is still coming back? He is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes back, he's not taking polls. He's not running for office. He's coming to claim what rightfully belongs to him. And we are living in the days preceding the coming of the Lord. Why is that important? It's because the only people who engaged in spiritual warfare were not apostles in the New Testament. It's you today. Why that's significant is what Paul told Timothy. He writes Timothy in the first chapter of, of 1 Timothy, and he says, you better grab a hold of the prophecies that have been made over your life and do what with them? Wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Prophecies that were spoken over your life. And we know that these prophecies, according to chapter 4, were spoken by presbyters or by spiritually mature elders, leaders, apostles, and prophets in the church. That when, probably when Timothy was put into the church, they laid hands on him and they prophesied over him. And now when he's enduring hardship and he's going through difficult times, Paul says, you need to go and you need to pull back the prophecies that were spoken over your life and you need to use those to wage warfare. Because one of the weapons in a believer's spiritual arsenal is the prophetic words that have been spoken over our lives. Yes, it's the Bible. We need the Bible. I love the Bible. I own more Bibles than probably most churches collectively. I collect the Bible. I've studied the Bible. I love Bibles. I love every kind of Bible, I, and I am a Bible guy, but can I just tell you, Jesus did not say, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep will know my book. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. And the Bible is the word of God, but the Holy Spirit is the one that breathes life into it and makes it, takes it from a logos word to a rhema word to where it's alive on the inside of us. The Bible is one of your weapons in your spiritual warfare. So is prayer, so is worship, so is fasting, so is giving. But let me tell you that prophetic words that have been spoken over your life serve as weapons when you are in the midst of fighting battles. And Paul tells him that, and he starts the book with the prophetic, and he ends his letter to Timothy by again reminding him. He says, I want you to immerse yourself, baptize yourself in the things of the Spirit that have been attached to God speaking over your life. Prophetic words matter. 
And sometimes people ask the question, why does prophecy matter? Why, do, why can't we just stick to the basics? You know, why can't we just stick to the Bible? Why can't we just stick to going to church? Why can't we just stick to singing, you know, the songs out of the old hymn? Why do we have to mess with things like prophecy? Because, you know, I, I really don't understand it. Uh, I don't know how it functions. I've been hurt by it. Those kind of churches, you know, they engage in prophetic stuff. I'm not, why can't we just stick to the basics? Because here's what I want you to know. Prophecy is the basics. Everything that Jesus has given to us is the basics. There's nothing in your Bible that is non-essential. We need everything that God has given to us. We need all of the Holy Spirit. We need everything that he has available to us in order for us to win the battles that you and I are facing. You know, sometimes I think we, in our minds, have like different levels of Christianity. I don't know if you've ever like signed up for a membership. Years ago, I signed up for like a GNC. You go there and you get your protein powder or your vitamins and different things like that. And they had like silver, gold, and platinum memberships. And the platinum membership meant you got like a 25% discount. And it was like, well, of course I want the platinum, you know? But I think we do that with Christianity. We think, well, there's silver level Christianity that means that I made Jesus Lord of my life, and when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven. But here, eh, it's gonna be a little shaky. It's fire insurance. But then there's gold-level Christianity, and those are people that go to church every Sunday and on Sunday nights when their church has prophetic presbytery. <laughs> and those are the Christians that read their Bibles, go to church, and they tithe, and they serve. It's like gold-level Christians. Then there's platinum-level Navy SEAL special forces they fast at the beginning of the year. They serve. They tithe. They give above the tithe to the building fund. They actually witness to people. And it's like, that's like whole nother level Christianity. And sometimes I think we come into the kingdom and we think, well, I'm just happy with the silver level. But why would we, why would we ever settle for the lowest level Christianity? Because let me just tell you something. There's only one level. There's only one common faith that we have. And there's only one Holy Spirit. And when you got born again, if you're a believer in Jesus today, you have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Raise your hand if you're a Christian and Jesus is Lord of your life in this room. At Edmund too, just go ahead and raise it. Hold it up high. This is something we ought to be proud of. Okay, put your hands up. Here's what I want you to know. If you just raise your hand, the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus of Nazareth to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, multiply the bread and the loaves, lives inside of you. It's not a different Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit that was brooding over the face of the, of the waters in Genesis chapter 1 when God was creating the heavens and the earth. The same Holy Spirit that caused the mountains and the ocean to separate, that stretched out the universe at the rate of 186,000 miles per second. The same Holy Spirit that called every star into being where now there is over a trillion different unique galaxies, that same Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. There is no JV Holy Spirit. There is no Junior Varsity Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you was given to you by Jesus to lead and to guide you into all truth. This is what Jesus said. I will send the helper, I will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, 
He's going to dwell inside you, and he's going to speak to you. He's going to lead you, and he's going to guide you into all the truth. So we should want everything that God has for us. And can I just tell you something about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. Holy Spirit's not weird. I, here's what I say about the Holy Spirit when people are cautious about the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit is not strange. He's not tame, but he's not strange. People are strange. And when I grew up, in the summertime, my mom would kick us out of the house and tell us, go play. Anybody like that? I was like, you're not sitting in the house watching TV. You get outside. 7.30 in the morning, my mom was like, Poof, get outside. And when you were thirsty, we didn't have Fiji water in a bottle. You drank out of the hose. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, and we survived, y'all. I mean, so, you know, it's 90 degrees outside, or, which, which is winter for you, but for us, that's summer. And, you know, you'd crank that spigot. And that hose would sit there all crinkled up in the 90, 100 degree heat. And you, you know, bloop, bloop, bloop. And then the water comes out and you just slurp that water. What did that water taste like? It tasted like the hose. There's nothing wrong with the water, but it takes on the flavor of the hose that it's flowing through. The, the Holy Spirit is not weird, but there's a lot of hosers in the kingdom of God. That when he's flowing through... He takes on the flavor of their personality. So don't get, turned off, don't get turned off by the Holy Spirit. We need the living water. The Holy Spirit, uh, the gift of prophecy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in which God speaks through people to people. And when he does it, it's essential. This is not a non-essential gift. We need the gift of prophecy because the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy in particular adds spiritual nutrients into our hearts that can't come from any other place. Reading the Bible is great, and we need to do that. And I believe what the, most of the time when the Holy Spirit speaks through a word of knowledge or a prophetic nudge or word, he's drawing on the database of the Bible and the word of God that we have put into our hearts. So when you read the Bible, you might think, well, Today, I went and prayed, and I, re I read the Bible, and God didn't say anything to me. Well, number one, every time you read the Bible, God is speaking to you. But we take it, and we put it into the database of our heart, and then days, weeks, months, and even years later, now as we've built up a database, the Holy Spirit can draw on what he once inspired to be written, and he can breathe new life onto it, and he can make it a now word for us. But, you know, just merely reading the Bible is not is not enough. Just like going to church is not enough. We need the full diet with all the nutritional minerals and vitamins and everything that's life-giving that God has for us. And the gift of prophecy is one of those gifts that we absolutely need in our lives because by it, just like Paul told Timothy, we wage the good warfare. Let me give you a definition of prophecy this morning that I think will help paint the picture for you. I, my definition is God speaking through people to people. But Wayne Grudem, who's an evangelical scholar, he said this. He said, the gift of prophecy is telling something to God that, that he has spontaneously brought to your mind for somebody else. It's you speaking something that God has given to you for somebody else. Derek Prince, who was a great Bible teacher, Oxford scholar, said the gift of prophecy is the supernaturally imparted ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to speak God's mind or counsel. 
Prophecy ministers not only to the assembled group of believers, but also to individuals. This is what the gift of prophecy is, and it matters. And it matters because there's something that God does in us when we receive a now spoken word from another member of the body of Christ that God uses that instills spiritual nutrients into our spirit that would come in no other way. Years ago, so when my wife and I planted Radiant Church, we did everything wrong. <laughs> we, we started in a town, actually a historic village that had 1,300 residents living in it. So it was not like, we had one stop, blinking red light and a post office. And uh, the only place that we could rent was a uh, community high school. The mascot of the high school was the Blue Devils. <clears throat> and the room that we rented out was a cafetorium, not quite a cafeteria, not quite an auditorium, kind of smashed together. And when you walked into the school on the sign, as you walk in through the doors, it says, welcome to the devil's den. And that's where we had church. <clears throat> and when we started, I was 25 years old. My wife was 24. We had been on staff at a great church, huge church, about an hour away. I did young adults, taught in the Bible college. You know, just everything that you could dream of in ministry, that's what I was doing until God spoke to us and called us to plant a church. So 24, 25 years old, we went and started in the Devil's Den in Richland, Michigan, population 1,300. Our first Sunday, we had 70 people that showed up. Then we had a Gideon's, don't get too excited. Then we had a Gideon's revival, you know, where it goes in reverse, and we grew from 70 to 50, and you know, went down to 50 people. That's when Jane's parents didn't come back. And we're just like, all right, friends and family don't come back on week two. And we had to build the church. And the first six months of our church was incredibly painful. It was tough. I mean, we had, uh, you know, well, the first interaction I had was somebody walked up to me on the first Sunday and they said, that was great. When do we get to meet the pastor? And I said, well, I'm the pastor. And they said, oh, we thought you were the youth pastor. He said, I can't go to a church where the pastor is younger than my jeans. I'm just like, well, two things. You need new fashion and go buy some new jeans. But number two, I am the pastor of the church. And they never came back. And we had people come and go, people that said, well, when you get a building, we'll come back. It was discouraging. It was just really discouraging. We had one Sunday in December where our worship pastor, so we got seven inches of snow. It was already bad because people weren't going to come to church. And the worship pastor in the middle of singing Ancient of Days, the old Ron Cannoli song, he's doing Ancient of Days. He vomits all over the monitors in the front row. He had the flu, worship stop, bass player throws his guitar down. We got out into the car. I told my wife, Jane, I said, I quit. I'm done. I'm not cut out for this. I wanna go, I wanna go home. I wanna go back to the church that we came from. She's like, Babe, we can't quit. You're married to this church. You're married to the vision that God gave you. And I'll tell you, I was discouraged. I went home. I, I remember what I did. I, I bought Airbud on VHS. I put it on for the kids. And I bought a two liter of Mountain Dew and a one pound bag of Doritos. And I said, I am just, I'm sitting on this couch. I'm gonna just drink Mountain Dew and eat Doritos and feel sorry for myself. Anybody ever had one of those days, by the way? <clears throat> Some of you, it's like today, actually, when I go home. 
A week later, we had a guest minister that a friend of mine had in. He said, you need to meet, you need to meet these, uh, these folks. And I said, well, I don't really want to come to church on Sunday night. And they said, well, come. So we went. And this man's name was Jim Stevens. And him and his wife, Judy, ministered in the prophetic, like we're, we're going to tonight. Great people, really sweet. But we had never met them. We showed up at church, and we sat over, over to the right. And this guy had never met me. But he pulled me out. First, we walked in a little bit late, pulled me up, had me stand up, and he gave me a prophetic word from the heart of the Father that I will never forget. And he spoke to me and he said, you're thinking about quitting. The Lord says, stay faithful in the vineyard that I have planted you, and it will bear fruit. Do not give up. Don't say you're too young. Don't say you're not able to do this. And in the years ahead, God is going to enable you to do apostolic work. You're going to plant churches here and in other lands if you just stay faithful. And when I received that word, I'll tell you, it, it was so refreshing because I was on the verge of giving up. We weren't even a year in, and I wanted to quit. I thought, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not a good enough preacher. Maybe I'm not a good enough pastor. Maybe I made all the mistakes of where we planted. But that word was a word in season that refreshed my soul. You know, this last September, we just celebrated 20, our 25-year anniversary as a church. And we gathered, amen. And we gathered, we have multiple campuses like you guys do. We gathered at our minor league baseball stadium. And Jane and I and our family, we walked up on the platform and we looked out at thousands of people. And we recognized over the last 25 years, not only has God grown that small seedling of a church of thousands of people, but we've planted 13 other churches. We lead a network of about 60 churches around the U.S. And we planted last, or three years ago, we planted our first church in another country. So it was, uh, let me get it right, is Radeante Iglesia in Guadalajara, Mexico. And God reminded me as I was on that platform this last September of that word that was given to us 25 years earlier that we've been waging the warfare by. It kept me from quitting at a moment that I was considering it. This is why prophecy matters because you don't have to be a pastor to receive a prophetic word. Do you know that God is your father and he wants to speak to you? What kind of relationship do we have where there's no communication? I mean, can you imagine a parent, you know, you, you raise your kids and they turn about four or five years old where they're at a, at the age where they can communicate with you and you say, okay, I've got you stabilized, so here's a book, have a great life. And it's like, well, wait a second, Dad, I wanna communicate, I want a relationship. The Holy Spirit wants a relationship with you. God wants to speak to you. And one of the ways that God does that is through the gift of prophecy. There's two things that I believe indicate why prophecy matters, and I wanna spend the next few moments talking about these two things. Number one, prophecy matters because the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that we're supposed to pursue it zealously. Pursue it zealously. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. Now, raise your hand if you are married in this room or at Edmund. Raise your hand if you're married. Okay, put your hand up. How many of you are dating somebody right now? Raise your hand. Do you know why you were married? For those of you who said you're married and why you're dating somebody that you're dating, it's because you pursued them. 
And we only pursue things we are attracted to and we desire. Nobody goes, yeah, I mean, they kind of drive me crazy. I'll probably marry them. <laughs> now, that happens later on, right? <laughs> it's like, no, you, you meet somebody and you are attracted to them. I remember when I met Jane. We, we started dating in July of uh, 1991. We worked at the same place. It took me about three weeks to get the nerve to ask her out. But once I asked her out, I got her phone number. And back then, we used to have phones that were mounted. If you're under 30, there was a day where we had phones that you actually hung on the walls and they had cords attached to them. And you had to like ask who it was because you didn't know. <clears throat> and so I used to call Jane and we had a 20-foot cord on our phone. So I'd like take it around the corner into a private room so that my mom couldn't hear what I was saying. And so I, I was talking, Jane, how you doing? We just, we would talk for hours, literally hours, just like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. What are you doing? I'm just listening to you breathe. And, <laughs> and then when you got together, you just loved being together. And you just, let's, 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 let's get married. I, I don't want to live another day of my life without you. And so you get married. But nobody gets married because they're like, yeah, they're a terrible person. They make me feel bad about myself. So I decided to marry him. It's like, no, I'm not at all attracted to them. No, so I'm gonna pursue them hard. No, you don't pursue people or things you're not attracted to or don't desire. And when the Bible tells us to earnestly pursue spiritual gifts, God's not gonna encourage us to pursue something that doesn't have good attached to it for us. But yet, we've got to pursue it. I've heard people say, well, you know, God wants to speak to me. He knows my address. Yeah, but what if your phone's off the hook? What if you're not answering the phone because you're not interested in what God has to say for you? One of the reasons why prophecy matters is because the Bible tells us to pursue it. And this is what we're supposed to have in our life. God knows what we need that's going to help us be victorious. The second reason why prophecy matters is because prophecy is a spiritual accelerant. The gift of prophecy is a spiritual accelerant. When you receive a prophetic now word that is confirmed by the word of God, it's like throwing lighter fluid onto the flame of your love for Jesus. It's, it's an accelerant. So if you've ever barbecued before, you know, you know, you go out and unless you have one of those gas ones that it's real quick, you ever do charcoal with charcoal, you go out there and you stack the bricks and you put the lighter fluid or you put your wood chips on there and then you light it, but then you have to wait. You have to wait a long time, sometimes 45, 50 minutes. One time after church, we were in a hurry. My dad was over and he says, are you ready to barbecue? I'm like, yeah, but we got to wait for the coals. He said, oh, you don't have to wait. He says, do you got a hairdryer? I'm like, well, I don't have a hairdryer, but Jane's got one. He said, go get the hairdryer and an extension cord. I'm like, all right. Went into the garage, got the extension cord, took Jane's hairdryer without her knowing, and brought it back down, sitting out on the back deck. And I said, well, what are, what are we doing with this? He said, you already lit the coals. Yeah. So he takes, he takes the, the hairdryer, puts it on low speed, and he begins to blow on the coals. And the coals begin to inflame and within seven minutes, we had hot, white coals. By the way, that's a little free life hack. All you guys, you're glad you came to church today. 
use your wife's hair dryer. Now, Jane's, now, in all honesty, Jane's hair smelled like charcoal for the next two months, but it was worth it. What did we do? We accelerated the process. We accelerated the process. And that's what an, an accelerant does. And that's what a prophetic word will do to you. It doesn't necessarily tell you something that you didn't know. It just adds the God X factor on what you already knew to let you know that God is in this, that you are not fighting this battle alone, that he is in the boat with you. And I'll tell you what, when half the battle in life is knowing that you're not alone, it's knowing that Jesus sees you, that Jesus loves you, and he's with you. If we know that, we can go through a lot of our life. We can stand strong. We can be like David who said, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. When God speaks a now word over your life, it's like, okay, I know that the, the battle I'm going through, this is not the final word. God always has the final word. So let me, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 through 4. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Those three things, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He speaks, or he who speaks in a tongue builds himself or edifies himself up, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So Paul's writing about what prophecy does. He says it strengthens, it encourages, and it brings comfort to us. When we receive a prophetic word, this is what it will do. If you ever receive a prophetic word from somebody and it doesn't produce strength, courage or encouragement and comfort to you, then you need to throw it out because it's not God speaking to you. Nobody's gonna like pull you out and go, God hates you, God's anti. We had a guy one time show up at our church. This is when we were really small and he claimed to be a prophet. Never, never forget his name. His name was David and he would sit in the second row and he didn't like the direction I was leading the church. So one Sunday he stood up and he's, he was prophesying. There was only like 50 people in the room. So he stood up and he said, I'm the Lord and I say Ichabod. Except instead of saying Ichabod, he said Michelob. I'm the Lord. Ichabod means the glory has departed. Michelob means the party just started. And, and, he, and he got it all wrong, but... When he spoke that word, he peeled out of there. That was the best day of my life when he never came back. <laughs> when God speaks, it's gonna strengthen, it's gonna bring courage, and it's gonna build you up. Why? Why does God, why does God use prophecy to do that? Because here's what, it, here's what it does. A prophetic word encourages you to stay the course in your present. It comforts you in your past, and it fortifies and strengthens you towards your future. Let me say it again. A prophetic word encourages you. This is what Paul said. It's encouragement. It encourages you to stay the course in your present. Why? Because oftentimes when we are in the middle of very difficult seasons of our life, we just want to give up. And what we need is we need the strength in our present. Something from God right now that says, in this moment, you are not alone. I am with you. Let me give you an example. So tonight when we give words, there's gonna be candidates that are up on stage that have been selected that we've been praying over. We don't know their names. We just know candidate couple number one, number two, and we've been writing words down from the Lord. We're gonna share them. But we're also gonna do words in season where we walk out into the audience and, and we're, God's gonna highlight and we're gonna give words to people. 
about six months ago, I was at a church in Dallas, and during prayer, the Lord just gave me two words, pilot, Air, Air, Air Force pilot or pilot, and transformed, just those two words. So it was a room about, you know, pretty close to this size. It was a big room. And so I had a microphone. And I just said, okay, so I'm looking for a pilot. There was prob- probably 800 people in the room. I said, is anyone here a pilot? One, one man stood up right over here. He was a pilot. And I went over to him. And, and the whole room knew he was a pilot. And the whole room's like, ooh, here it comes. So I walked over to him and I said, I'd love to give you a lot more, but I'm not going to expand on it. The Lord gave me one word, transformed. And he just, started, he just started crying. I said, I don't know what that means to you. Afterwards, he came up to me and he said this, I'm a, re- I'm a retired Air Force pilot and my dream has always been to serve God in ministry. We moved home and last weekend, the church asked me if I would lead a men's recovery ministry called Transformed. And I've been praying and saying I would get back to them next week. Do you see how in your present moment, getting a word of encouragement like that can strengthen you and encourage you where you're at to stay the course. So it encourages you to stay the course in your present. It comforts you with your past. Why does it comfort you with your past? Because the Holy Spirit's a comforter. The Holy Spirit cares about you. And do you know the number one limitation and hindrance for believers in the church is condemnation about your past. The devil is an, an accuser and a slanderer and a condemn. That's what he does. It's his number one tool. His deception, his number, his number two best weapon is condemnation. That's why Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you know, so many people in the body of Christ are feeling and experiencing condemnation and shame about their past. The things that they did, they wish they could undo. The things that they did not do, they wish that they had done. And the devil will always whisper in your ear unsettling words about this disqualifies you. You should just be happy that everybody doesn't know what you've done. If it ever gets out, your life's over. Don't expect too much from God. Just be happy that you're getting into heaven. And you know what it does is it, it becomes a governor on our potential because we've learned to walk in shame. We've actually learned shame as our native language. And because we've grown up, doesn't matter whether you were five years old when you received Jesus or 50 years old when you received Jesus. The frequency of our heart because of sin and our sin nature has been tuned to the airwaves of condemnation, shame, and the voice of the accuser. And the devil's voice has become familiar to us. And he'll use our past against us. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive a prophetic word where we allow God to speak through someone to us. It brings comfort about our past. It reminds us that our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. 
that our past is gone, that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have gone away, and behold, all things have become new, that you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that we are accepted in the beloved, that we are the apple of his eye, that in Jesus we are the first and not the last, blessed and not cursed, the head only and not the tail, blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed in our coming and blessed in our going. And the Holy Spirit will comfort us and remind us not who we are, but who we belong to. And the third thing that he will do is he fortify and strengthen us towards our destiny, towards your future. It's where he'll speak a word that's a breadcrumb that's leading you towards the destiny and the purpose that he's always had for you. You see, this is what God does. God encourages, comforts us, and fortifies us. But what does the devil do? The devil wants to come and discourage you in your present by condemning you about your past so he can deconstruct your destiny. See, there's two blueprints in the universe for your life. John 10 says that the thief comes, but the steal kill and destroy. That's the devil's blueprint for you. When God created you, the devil went into his war room and he pulled out a blueprint and he said, here's how we're going to deconstruct their destiny so that they never become who God designed them to be and they never accomplish what create, why God created them. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna get them entrenched in sin, then we're gonna condemn them, then we're gonna disturb them, then we're gonna depress them, then we're gonna derail them, and then we're gonna deconstruct instruct them. Everybody, on the count of three, destroy. But I'm grateful that there's another set of blueprints in the universe. That Jesus, when he laid out his blueprint for you, he said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God has laid out a plan of redemption that starts at the cross but finishes in his arms. And you are led by the Holy Spirit every second of your day. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I'm not gonna send the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna glorify me. He's gonna empower you. He's gonna seal you. He's gonna tell you who you are. He's gonna be involved in every little detail. And most importantly, he's gonna speak to you. And the decision about whose blueprint gets built into our life has everything to do with whose voice we choose to believe. Prophecy is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when we say yes to prophecy, we say yes to the Holy Spirit, we say yes to God's plans and purposes. You see, when we receive a word, it's a nuclear. And it changes us. We either receive a demonic word that contaminates us or we receive a prophetic word that fuels us. And tonight when we give prophetic words, I promise you it's not gonna be weird. I promise you it's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be powerful. I promise you there's no better place for you to be tonight than right here. You may receive a word. You may receive just the Holy Spirit prompting and nudging you without anybody ever speaking to you because you're in an environment where the prophetic is is at home and is welcome. But here's what I know is that right now, he sees you. Edmund, I'm looking right at you and I'm saying he sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees your battles. He sees your fears. 
He sees your dreams. He sees your kids, your marriage, your business, your family. And the most beautiful thing about Jesus is that he sees, he knows the good and the bad, and he loves us, and he's for us, and he's at work on our behalf. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.